This reading is John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken, this reading is John chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that you know, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know it in truth, that I came from you, and that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are, are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and, have not, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the word, world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, you Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me. I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you have given me because you loved me, before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know that you are um, good. We thank you that you've given us the word that... It's so easy, Lord, to have in our hands today. May we be um, really attentive to what it has for us in our lives. Lord, this passage is stunning because it is Jesus' last word to the Father 
on earth. Lord, we pray that we listen carefully. My preparation uh, is, uh, is inspired by you for the people in this room and the people watching online. May we know something of you further than we already do through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool, friends. Uh, John 17, I'd love you to open it uh, if you've got that in front of you. If you haven't got that, um, can you put your hand up? Anyone want a Bible? Sweet. John, um, James, behind you in that cabinet is a Bible. If you could sanitize your hands before you take one out with Marie, and then hand one to John. Thanks so much. Um, John 17. This is the final section of our last three chapters, 15, 16, and 17, where we see Jesus praying to the Father. Can you imagine the privilege of standing there, earwigging in on Jesus' massively long, extensive prayer to the Father? Can you imagine being there? The last half has happened. So much teaching from Jesus that we've heard over the last few weeks. Listening to a man publicly praying to take me home. It's a privilege. Well, friends, it's a privilege that you don't need to imagine. Because you're sitting there with it opened in front of you. This prayer is recorded for you, inspired through John, to remember the exact wordings that Jesus used for your food. John's standing there going, how am I going to remember all this? The Holy Spirit then comes as John writes to inform you and I the words here to remember well so that we can earwig in on the Son speaking to the Father as well. This is spoken out loud for humans to hear. Throughout the centuries, we've been able to read this and learn so much, and I want us to remember that. Jesus has finished the Last Supper, and he's about to go off to his death. Let's take a little bit. A little bit of time to just explore what's happening. Now, I can't unpack this all. It will take hours. But I want to just give you a few different things. Three points to this sermon. One, that Jesus is asking us to be one in communion. That Jesus is asking us to be one in mission. And Jesus is asking us to be one in glory. That's where we will start. As Jesus is there, verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Well, let's pause there. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. You remember the first um, miracle that Jesus did in John's Gospel, wedding of Cana? And he's there and he turns water into wine. You know that, that famous uh, story. And he says, Mother, my hour has not yet come. When she says, Yo, Jesus, you can fix the wine sitch. And he goes, My hour's not yet come, Mum. Go away. And yet we hear here in John 17 that his hour has come. And he speaks to his father. 
Mother, my hour's not yet come, and Father, my hour has come. You see, we have this bookend of the hour, and between the first time he says it's not yet happening, between that time and this time, he has revealed and revealed and revealed his glory over and over again in little ways and bigger ways. And we've tracked that in John. We've tracked that the whole way through. What has Jesus been doing? He's been showing more and more and more of who he is, what his character is, and that is his glory. But now the hour's come where we will fully see the glory of Christ. But what is glory? What actually is this word we're on about? Why does Jesus use it? it it's such a broad term of kind of we glorify things and things can be glorified. Well, let's just, let's just look at it. The Hebrew word for glory is a word called kavod. I don't normally say Hebrew stuff or Greek stuff because it makes me sound like I know it. I don't really, to be honest with you. But this word is so lovely to say that it's worth you remembering it. Kavod. And that word kavod, it simply means weight or something's mass, it's weightiness, it's heaviness. And it was used often at the time to measure somebody, not their BMI, but their splendor, their character, their power, their wealth, their greatness, their importance. This word glory explains something of him. It's like saying, um, you know, Stephen has a really big character. It's kind of like that, but it's far more. It's used far more often. And when Jesus is talking about God's glory and the disciples are talking about Jesus' glory, and we hear this word, this weightiness of God, this splendor of God can be revealed and has been revealed. It's like the moment the queen um, was made monarch. You might have seen that on telly. You might have even watched it on telly. I'm not guessing anybody's age. When that crown goes on her head, you see people lining the streets. You see people bowing down low. There's something about her that brings awe and reverence, something about that position within humanity of queen that gives awe and reverence. And that's people responding to her glory. Or that moment that you stand in memory of those fallen in, in the world wars, which we would have done next week on Remembrance Sunday. You stand and you wait for two minutes. What do you say in those two minutes? Nothing. Because the glory of those people, what they did for our reality today, is wordless. That's their glory, their weightiness in our memory. Or you just stand at the edge of Niagara Falls, not the very edge, or you, you stand on the Grand Canyon or even go up to the Lake District and you just look. What do you say? It's that moment of breathlessness, of just going, stunning glory. The choked up moments when you hold a newborn baby. We tend to call that a miracle in our culture, but of course it's not. You know the science. But the reality is that there's something about that moment, the weightiness of new life coming into our family or our friends or our church, where we have emotion evoked deeply beyond words, glory, the weightiness. The hour has come where Jesus' full glory is going to be revealed to humanity and 
in that moment, his father will be glorified. To be glorified himself, he's going to glorify the father to reveal the fullness of his splendor, the fullness of his weightiness, the character of God in action, to reveal the mystery of God. Bestow glory upon me, Lord, as I die. Now, John's already warned us of this. John is not one for surprises. Chapter 1, verse 14, John explains, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son. I'm an eyewitness, readers, of this glory. Glory as of the only Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember those two words. The glory of God is full of grace and truth. That's what's revealed. Better love hath no man than he who gave his life for his friends, John 15. If you think you've ever been in love, if you think you've ever experienced love, let me tell you, if you're experiencing or seeing love differently or less than the love of Christ on the cross, then you have not experienced love in the way it can be experienced. Self-sacrifice of God is our caliber of love. If you think you've experienced love and haven't experienced Christ, we haven't experienced the fullness of love. It's just a mere reflection of that. That is love. Love is gracious from God to humanity. And that's why marriages can work. Because in a dim reflection of the love of God, the grace given, we can graciously love one another in a world of forgiveness that is so stunning because that's exactly what Christ did. Grace. But not just grace. Truth. We'll come to that a little bit later. But I think it's really important we remember the glory of God reveals grace and truth. His character, his weightiness are those two words living in love together. So we see the plan of the Father for the loving, gracious salvation to follow to create through this action, through God coming and revealing who he is, a great and glorious people. This isn't just one act that God does and leaves us all alone. This is the act that kickstarts the church. A great and glorious people. And this task, Jesus says, is about to be accomplished. He's now ready to go home. He didn't come to condemn or destroy us, which he had the right to do. He didn't come to simply teach us or inspire us, although they were symptoms of what he did. He came to give us eternal life. Verse 3. This is eternal life. That they know you. Eternal life is not simply stepping over your gravestone and seeing grandma in heaven. It's not simply that. Eternal life is knowing God. Eternal life is, is the life that we have, yes, after death, yes, for eternity, but living it in 2020 today because we give our lives to death for Christ and we inherit his eternal life. That's the good news. Gracious, truthful, glorious. I 
I glorified you on earth, Jesus said, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Go read Revelation 1 if you want to see the glory that Christ will have when he returns and more like the glory he had when the world before the world existed. There is more glory. There is more description of what Jesus is like before he came here. But Jesus addresses God. Notice it's his glory. And then it's about his followers. Verse 6 to 10, I'm just going to point out a few things as you scan over this passage. Notice his glory is there first and then he moves to his people. He's praying for his disciples. The people whom you gave me out of the world, verse 6. Yours they were and you gave them to me. Now they know, 7. Eight, I've given them your words. They've received them and they've come to know in truth. Verse 8, they believed that you sent me. Nine, I'm praying for them. Ten, I'm glorified in them. You see, Jesus' glorification is about to happen. And then he says, you know those people you gave me, Father? They know, they know what I'm doing. I've given them my words. They've received them, they know the truth, they've believed that you sent me and I'm praying for them and I am glorified in them. Is that your testimony? Is that your testimony? Jesus' name is manifested to you through word and deed. You know that Jesus came from God, Jesus is God. You listen to the teaching of Jesus and have come to know the truth and believed and now he's glorified in you which is the key to your satisfaction and your joy in the eternal life you're now living in. It's done. They're converted from death to life. And he's off home, and I'm glorified in them. Do you see your life as a house of Jesus' glorification? Jesus says, I'm glorified in them. Now, if you call yourself a disciple of Christ, that's you and me. That should make us panic. The glory of Jesus has been handed to the church. Extraordinary. This Jesus, this moment in his earthly ministry with the Father, finishing his glory on earth, is now to be the church's. How will he be more glorified by leaving? I know how dire I am at times, and unchristlike, and desperately sinful. Why would he give that to me? Well, that's a, another series of sermons. But ask yourself that question, and just know that the answer is because it is the best plan for humanity. We trust God, and he's picked us. And so we firmly hold on to his glory that is revealed, his grace and his truth, and we push on and listen to what he asks of the church here by three things. One in glory, finished. We agree around that glory. One in communion, the next bit, and then we'll end on one in mission. One in communion. A few things I want to point out from this passage. One that he says specifically that the church, the disciples, are kept. Two, 
that we are sanctified, and three, that we are unified. Verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, Father, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. You are in the world. Your identity is that of Christ and not of a worldly person, but you are in the world. And Jesus is leaving. Holy Father, keep them in your name. While I was with them, verse 12, I kept them in your name. I guarded them. But now I'm coming to you, verse 13. When Jesus was here and his disciples, he kept them, not just physically, although none of them were killed in that time. He kept them, but also spiritually in ways that they were completely ignorant of. We are kept by the Father like Jesus kept the disciples. How do I know this? Because Jesus asked the Father and his prayer was always going to be answered. Don't fear that the church is diminishing. Don't fear that we will die away. We will not. The church is kept by God the Father. We are protected. We are kept. We are one in communion together with God. Second, we are kept people. We're protected. We grow in holiness. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. If any of you have ever been in a, in a high church or a, a more kind of traditional musical setting, you may have set, sung that, that set of words. You know what I mean? Sanctus, sanctify, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, the holiness of God is given to his people, both fully and growing. Your sanctification from day one of following Jesus is in process, although it's also your identity. You are becoming holier. Verse 16, they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Father, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Grow in holiness. Not by your caliber of holiness or mine, but by the truth. How do we know the truth? Your word. Jesus, his communication, the Bible. Sanctify them in the truth. Now we did a whole sermon on this two chapters ago, John 15. You will be pruned, you will produce fruit. That's part of his mission. It's a beautiful thing. We move on to unity. One in unity. What denomination are you? Christian. Cheat. What denomination are you? Most people in this room couldn't care less, right? Why? Because we are the generation of grandparents and great-grandparents, if you're from a Christian tradition, who have cared and thought about it and lost friends over it. We don't care anymore. Somebody once said that the Christian church in, in England is now so small, they, they don't have time to battle over denominations. Whereas in America, they've still got time. They're still quite big. They'll still battle. Now, we've, I don't think that's necessarily the case about our size, but I think the reality is we've grown out of kicking Ken out because he's a Baptist. But actually, we've grown into Christianity, Jesus. This isn't about tradition anymore. This is about the love of Jesus. So I don't care what denomination you are. I just care that you love Jesus. So welcome, Ken. You see, we are 
not a denomination of people, but we are followers of Jesus. Now, we have done well to learn to love others across church divides over the last century. That's true. But sanctify them in the truth. I want to just point one thing out about church unity as we're there. We will not and should not unify around anything other than the truth. That's our biggest issue today. We've gone so far that we will always find the lowest common denominator, and that might mean we like stained glass. If we get rid of the truth for the sake of church unity, we lose the church. So we do have lines, and we're not unified around everything, with everyone, but we are around those who love Jesus. And that's where we find our unity, and that's why everyone can come to St. Andrews, and we will go everywhere else if they love Jesus and we love Jesus. Somehow. That's where our unity is to be. So church unity isn't about ecumenical partnerships with the Methodists. It's about joining together where we need to because we all love Christ. Let's keep that as our church relationships as opposed to any of the politics that can shade us. But this isn't talking about church unity. We love to inflate things to the big picture. I want to talk about the small picture. Look around you. Take a real look at these people. What do you think? They're not the folk you hang out with normally, I get. The reality is you're not, you're not a group of people who come to the same social club. You're not all similar. And if we are all too similar, we should check ourselves. The church is a diverse place of people who are chosen by God to follow, not just mates. Jesus prays for his disciples. Verse 21, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Our unity and relationship, I wouldn't hang out. I wouldn't hang out with Harriet. But I love her to bits because she's a member of Christ. And so Harriet and I hanging out with the rest of you in this church will show to people that God is glorious, that the world may believe that you've sent me. Jesus says our unity together, our connectedness beyond cultural norms is actually so the world can believe. Why? We'll talk about that another time, but it is true. Just watch out. Let me read you chapter 2, not the whole of it, from the Screwtape Letters. You know that little, little book from C.S. Lewis about a younger demon trying to trick a Christian away from Christ, being trained how to do that from an uh, older demon. Remember? God is the enemy in their eyes because they are of the devil. C.S. Lewis writes this. It's fiction, but it's closer to truth than I like. One of our great allies, the demon says, at present is the church herself. Do not misunderstand me. I don't mean the church that we see, spread through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That's what the devil sees as the church. But he confesses it's a spectacle which makes even our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it's quite invisible to these humans. That church, rooted in eternity, spread out through all time and space, terrible as an army with banners, that's invisible. This demon is saying to you and I in church, 
all our patience, as they call us, see his half-finished sham Gothic erections on building estates. And when we go inside, we see a local grocer with a rather oily complexion on their face building up to offer him a shiny little book, this is in the 60s, containing a liturgy which neither of them understand, and one shabby little book containing corrupt hymns of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad and in very small print. When he gets to his pew, he looks around him and he sees just the selection of his neighbours whom he hitherto avoided. You want to learn pretty, you want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbours, he says. He then mentions to fill his mind with these people, make his mind flit from the body of Christ to that annoying person over there. He says it matters very little, of course, what kind of people are actually in the next pew. But you may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side, on God's side, no matter what your patient thinks, that they are odd. Never let it come to the surface. Never let him ask what he expected them to look like, but mention their clothes, their boots, their singing out of tune, their double chins. Mention how ridiculous they look and they behave and he will believe them to be non-religious. Do not be fooled by the lies that are whispered in your ears about how weird and odd we all are. We are Christ's glorious church. We are to be unified and that can happen through the power of the Spirit. Our third point, our very short point and our last point is that we are to be one in mission. Father, you are in me, verse 21, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So that the world may believe. So that the world may know. It is this, this church, being sanctified, unified, one in communion, one in glory, one in mission that God has sent. So we're going to watch Jesus go to the cross over the next few weeks. And we're going to see his full glory revealed as he has for us. And so what do we take out of this? I want to suggest three things. One, live in him. Live in the eternal life in the context of our worries and fears. Our worries in light of the glory of God are nothing. We are kept people. We know the glory of God. The glory of our anxieties are nothing in comparison. You are kept. You are loved. And you can live forever in that. Two, push yourself further to grow. Grow in sanctification. Grow in communion. Grow in unity. Be closer with people than you are naturally. Don't make them work for it. You work for it. We will see our sanctification, our sanctus, sanctus, sanctus grow. The truth is our center. Third point, go. Go for him hand in hand together growing in love and truth. You've got a month away from this meeting. 
Let's learn not to live week to week. Disappointment, disappointment. Go. What's your mission over this lockdown month? What's your Zoom evangelism look like? What's your online watching of sermons to grow personally look like? Go. And tell the world. Live, go, and grow. Let's pray. Father, there is so much for us to look into. We pray that you speak to us in a powerful way. That you move in us. That you challenge us. And as we move to a time of sung worship, may you stir in us words from this passage, teaching in and around it, for us to be blessed by. We're going to sing our first song, although of course not sing. And I want to ask you to stay seated and keep that passage open as we have started to do. And read it over again. It's a long one. If you don't get all the way through it, stop where you're touched. And then in our next two songs, we'll give a little bit of time for us to share if there is anything a comment, a question, or a prophecy to encourage the church and build one another up. So we're going to play the music, and then I'll ask if there's anything after the first song. And if there is anything, just raise a hand, and I'll come to you as we continue singing together. <laughs>